0: the transmitter.
1: Here we are. Welcome to Synaptic. This is our podcast that investigates the people, the research, and the challenges of the neuroscience field. This is episode 11 of Synaptic. My name is Brady Huggett. I host the show, and we're glad to have you listening. Thanks for joining. Now, for today's show, let's start in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas around 2004, somewhere in that timetable. And let's go to Tarrant County College, specifically the South Campus, which is located in South Fort Worth. Tarrant is a community college. It was established in 1965 and has a mission statement of providing affordable and open access to quality teaching and learning. Tarrant has five physical campuses in Tarrant County. And in 2023, it had a total undergraduate enrollment of nearly 45,000 students, with the average age for students being 23. 58% of the enrollment is female, And in 2004, one of those females was Lauren O'Connell. That's today's guest, Lauren O'Connell. She was at Tarrant to get some education, maybe to work toward a nursing degree. But while she was there, a teacher named Jean Schweinitz pulled her aside and said, I think you should raise your sights a little bit. I think you should consider transferring. Now, not long after that, Lauren received in the mail, unsolicited, a flyer inviting her to transfer to Cornell University way up there in Ithaca, New York. She has no idea how the school found her, but she applied and was accepted into the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. Now, Cornell does this with some regularity, I should say. Currently, 30% of the undergraduates in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences are transfers. Cornell accepted Lauren, and she went off to a top-tier university in the Northeast. That flyer in the mail changed my life, as she says in this podcast. We talked about that, how it set her on a new path. We talked about how this new path was difficult for her parents to understand, and we talked about her winning Harvard's Bauer Fellowship and what it did for her career. And of course, we talked about animal behavior and Lauren's work in frog pair bonding. All of that in the next hour, I interviewed Lauren on February ninth, 2024, in her office in the Gilbert Biology Science Building on Stanford's campus. It was a very nice day in Palo Alto, bright sun, around 60 degrees. The building next to us was under construction, so sometimes in the recording, you can hear the sound of work being done. Her office has whiteboards and bare walls and a row of windows, so the audio is a little bouncy, as I like to say. And there is an occasional pinging from what I think are heating pipes, but maybe that will help you feel like you were in the room with us. I had not interviewed a frog researcher before, and I really enjoyed Lauren. So let's pick the interview up here, where we're chatting about commute times and how long she's been at Stanford. That should be enough to get us going. Here is your Synaptic episode with Lauren O'Connell starting right now.
0: or something like that. My spouse works in Redwood City, so he has to, he has a commute, like he a does. 20 minute commute. Yeah. yeah.
1: So the first thing would be like, how long have you been at Stanford?
0: Uh, I've been here for around hmm, seven years, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I came here when I started like my assistant professor job, yeah. um, and so yeah, it's been seven years in Palo Alto.
1: And where'd you live before this?
0: Uh, before this, I lived in Boston. Yeah. Because I had a fellowship position at the ba- Harvard.
1: The Bauer Fellowship. Yeah. All right, let's go, let's even go back to the beginning. You are not from Boston originally. No. Where, where are you from?
0: I'm from Texas. What part? um it's like close to the dfw area um, I, don't,
1: I don't know what dfw is. oh
0: it's that's dallas fort worth Oh, okay i do know what that is right <laughs> yeah i actually don't live didn't live in an incorporated town because i grew up on a farm uh-huh. and so um it's with this place called rendon which is like not even a town um but yeah so i grew up on this farm kind of in the in that general vicinity
1: Around DFW, yeah. Okay, so like a dairy farm. We...
0: Uh, no, we had goats, so we did do. They were dairy goats, so we did. And but we had like chickens and llamas and, and uh-huh. things like that, and it was like a working farm. Yeah,
1: so that was the source of income for the family.
0: Uh, my, we had this goat farm, and then my parents are also artists. Really? Yeah. What kind? Uh, well, they. My dad is trained in ceramics, and so he did a lot of ceramics and. Part of our barn was a had like a, a like a wheel yeah. and everything, uh-huh. yeah. And he does raku pottery, and then um, and then my mom does. Uh, she's a great illustrator, and so they had this uh, graphic design company that they ran out of this shed Wow, on our farm. Okay, so
1: so then my question is, is it how the farm, was this like a family lineage thing? How is it that your family was in Texas at all, I guess, maybe that's the question. Uh,
0: yeah, no, my parents are like from Texas, mm. and so they, um, you know, there's this kind of cultural thing in Texas to like not be dependent on the government, and yeah. to kind of live off the grid, and that's where I think that came from, that... Desire to have a farm and be self sufficient. Uh
1: Aha, so they started the farm? Yes. Okay, and then they started, that would make sense for the ceramics. They're going to make their own pots, they're going to make their own whatever. The illustration doesn't fit quite into that. That was my business.
0: Well, they needed money. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, so they started this uh, farm to provide, so I guess were they selling the goat milk as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So we made goat milk and uh, goat chocolate, and then also like, uh, you know, some goat is like a dish, you know, yeah. like a meat yeah. um, in some cases, and so that we sold them for those, too. Um, and then we had llamas, and we, like, um, spun llama wool and things like that.
1: And you say we, so I'm assuming part of your growing up is spinning llama wool. Yeah. Milking goats. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Me and my siblings. <laughs> how,
1: many, how many kids?
0: I, uh, th- yeah, I'm one of four. I'm the oldest.
1: Okay, so your parents start this farm. Yeah. Your dad teaches himself ceramics or
0: yeah yeah he well he actually he was a marine um, and and he's a Vietnam War veteran uh-huh. and so when he got out of the war he um, uh, he went to school for pottery um, and he didn't end up finishing that school um, he didn't end up graduating from college because he it was a lot of money and so he started then working construction mm-hmm. and then he met my mom and they decided to um, kind of be, want, they wanted a a place where they can kind of live off of the land and yeah. be independent from yeah. the government. And yeah. then they decided to do that once they started a family.
1: Independent from the government meaning um, I'm not paying my taxes or just like yeah. we don't? Oh, really?
0: Yes. <laughs> that kind of vibe. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I'm going to make some assumptions and just tell me where I'm wrong, right? So your father returns from the war. Yeah. Probably a little disenfranchised.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I think it was like a mix of like, I, I think Texas has a culture of being anti-government anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also, they were very religious. And so I think Christian, this, yeah, they yeah. were Seventh Day Adventist. And so, which is a special branch labor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that like really believes in like the end of times and things like that. And kind of like being self-sufficient to prepare for something like that.
1: Okay, now this is becoming clear to me. I'm actually a little struck by your father returning from the war and saying, I'm going to go into ceramics. I don't think I would have guessed that would be the choice. Do you know why he did that?
0: Um, no, well, I think he really liked that in high school. I don't think he had a lot of options, you know. But if you're kind of grown up in the middle of nowhere, I don't think you have a lot of options if uh-huh. you don't have a lot of money. Yeah. And so um, like going into the military kind of seemed uh, like to make sense um and i actually think that you know going into ceramics i think is after something like being in a war can be kind of healing in, in a way because um, you know you're working he likes to work with his hands you know because he was a carpenter for a little bit and so i think like making something very pretty um is kind of heals your soul in a way
1: yeah yeah so that makes sense and he met your mother and she was already an illustrator.
0: Yeah, she had been working as an illustrator for since she was very young.
1: And they said, "Let's go off by ourselves, buy a plot of land or did yeah. they already have the okay, No, they
0: bought a plot of land. Bought a plot of land yeah. and we're going to become Start self-sufficient yeah.
1: and kind of prepare for end times. Yes. Okay, and then into <laughs> this mix you are born. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about growing up.
0: Uh, growing up. Yeah. I so I they had us go to a religious school uh-huh. in the beginning um the seventh day adventist school so it was like very kind of in a in a religious bubble almost and like this anti-government religious bubble um and uh and then i had a lot of farm chores so
1: llamas the goats (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. You,
0: you have a lot of kids because you have a lot of uh there's a sure. lot of jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: This, is like, this is why you had kids in the first place in the olden days is to handle the farm. Exactly. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, there was a lot of that. You're growing up. At some point, do you become interested in science? Was there an expectation that you help run the farm one day, that you were going to join the church? I don't know.
0: Um, yeah. So I think they expected me to do something useful. And then so for me, something useful that like a girl could do was to be in, like, the veterinary field, um, so working with animals, or, like, being a nurse in some way. Mm. Um, And so, and I liked those things. I I liked, um, you know, I didn't realize it, but, like, working on this farm and, like, dealing with a lot of agriculture, I think that it actually introduced me in a way that I didn't realize until much later to like animal genetics and animal behavior. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, that kind of primed me to be interested in those realms of science. Um, and so because I thought I like, needed to be something useful to my community, like a nurse or some type of veterinary aid, um, then I like, tried to be like, good at science in school.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Because you were thinking maybe if I go to vet school... I'm gonna need the science like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so
1: was your plan to go to vet school?
0: Yeah. Um, No, my plan was to do some type of nursing because I wanted to help people. And so I went to, I was gonna be this, I went to community college. Uh um, You know, because my dad didn't finish college and my mom did eventually finish college like after kids and stuff like that. Um, And my dad actually eventually, I think when I was in graduate school, finished community college. And so there was some like recognition that you need something a little bit more past high school. And so, anyway, I went to community college, and then I really liked science at that point, and my professors actually really tried to talk me into transferring to a university to get like a four-year degree. Um, So this
1: is, uh, I do know this, this is Tarrant County College.
0: Tarrant County College, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, Yeah. and you're sort of in the nursing track or something. Yeah. And taking biology Biology classes. Biology classes, yeah. And some professor says, you might want to aim higher than this. Yeah, okay. yeah,
0: yeah. Her name—her name is Jean Schweinitz Actually, she—she's an—she's an amazing human. And yeah. every time I'm back in that area, I try yeah. to, <laughs> try to chat with her because she was just so amazing, and she was my biology professor. And she like got me a job in a lab, and like tried to convince me that I needed to transfer, um, which my family didn't think was like an incredibly useful thing to do to like go to go to college and then especially moving away from home and then you know by the time i went to graduate school they thought i yeah i was like that they thought that was a total waste of time Uh so
1: so i'm interested what what do you think this professor saw i mean so let me I, i should back this up yeah did they just pulled you aside one day and said listen lauren you're doing great in this class, and I'd like you to think about maybe expanding your worldview or going to a better school yeah. because while Tarant is plenty good, I want yeah. more for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. They like nominated me for like a summer. It was this—they um, nominated me for this program, this uh, LSAMP program. It's for—to um, like to get— people who are underrepresented like either racially or ethnically or socioeconomically geography geography, rural people from rural places like into science and they nominated me through that program and so i went to uh university of texas arlington which was the closest so it, it was like an hour away but it was the closest university i had to my hometown um and and so i went there in the summer to like do a summer internship. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think that really helped me then like transfer from community college. So then
1: you began to look around where can I transfer from? Yeah, exactly.
0: And I, I I was going to stay in Texas uh, because I just like, my world was very small at that point. And I got this flyer in the mail from Cornell who I had never heard of before. Mm. I was like, I don't know what Cornell is. Um, but I'm going to apply anyways. And, uh, and then I got in. <laughs>
1: that's the only place you applied?
0: I applied to Cornell. I applied to Texas Christian University, TCU, because yeah. that's, like, eventually where my mom graduated from. And then I applied to UT, University of Texas, Austin. So these three places. And I had never heard of Cornell before. And
1: How did they find I have they no idea. It?
0: They're actually, Cornell is really amazing, actually, at getting transfer students, um, into the university they Uh, they they take a lot of transfer students like they they
1: focus on it somehow yeah
0: yeah they have a lot of support mechanisms and things like that i have no idea how they got my name but that like flyer in the mail changed my life
1: (laughs) um i want to go back to this teacher thing because i'm but what do you think it was that they saw so for some reason they said well this person let's see if we can help them
0: yeah What, what do you think it was I don't know. I, 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 it was a long time ago. I think. I mean, I think I was like good at the class, and yeah. they like saw that I was like getting the material and quickly. And I, you know, I, I, actually hung out. Like, I went to their office hours, and now I realize how rare that that is. <laughs> um, that like students like come to talk to you <laughs> in your office hours, um, and so you know to like talk through problems and things like that, and like about like my life, and you know growing up on this farm, and I think they could tell I was a little, like, in this, like, agricultural, religious bubble, Mm. and that this, like, could be a way out of that.
1: That sounds, so I, if if I had to guess, it would be that. It would be that you're coming to the office and saying, you know, can you tell me more about what we talked about in class today, and also sharing your life, and they thought, this is an eager person with a you know, like a curious mind. Let's yeah. see if we can nurture them. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think so. And then this flyer comes in the mail somehow. I'm still fascinated. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I, I, to this day, I do not know how they got my, like, address in the middle of rural Texas to so send this you to me.
1: You send off to Cornell, and you get in.
0: Yeah, I, I, I got in.
1: And so now do you have to go to your family and say, not only am I transferring to a different school, but I'm going to leave the state.
0: Yeah, because but... we had, I had never been, like, that far north. And so...
1: Where had you been? You'd been out of Texas.
0: I'd been out of Texas, like, cause we have family in Oklahoma uh-huh. and, and family in Louisiana. Um, and so I had been in like sur- some surrounding states, but I had never been like north of Tennessee or, you know, north, you know, that far north. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so they were not happy about that, but they were like, well, you know, this is something you want to do. And, and I was very homesick and very, it was like a big culture shock for me um, going there, um, but you okay. know they drove me up there oh, and they, they dropped me off and then they just, they were like okay and they like put all my stuff on the side of the road and then they were like I'll see you later and then they drove turn around Seriously? and drove back down <laughs> yeah Are
1: you, I mean, did they take you into your dorm
0: no no because <laughs> no, then no they were just like all right we got to go. And then, um, yeah, because they had like you know, there's like a farm waiting for them and stuff like that. They have a huge responsibility, exactly. And we couldn't like afford a flight to like there, Um, and so yeah, so they just shot me off. And uh, yeah, only later did I realize when I saw these families helping people into their dorms that that, oh, that's what college looks like. Exactly, that I was missing something here. Um, but they didn't know. They like no. didn't live at a, like live in a dorm in a university or something like that. They had no way of knowing that's what you do. I
1: mean, they could have put you on a bus. They drove you up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They rented a, a van, drove me up.
1: So tell me about this culture shock. So did you have a roommate?
0: I had a roommate.
1: You know, you'd never met this person before, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that person's background?
0: Oh, she's a yeah. She was a she's a New Yorker. Um, lots of people from Cornell, and yeah. from New York. She, so yeah, uh, she was amazing. She, um, yeah, we definitely had like different paces of life and different backgrounds, um, but we ended up being becoming really great friends. That um, I still talk, like I still talk with her. She's from Pleasant. So she's from. I don't know if she's from the. State, she's from Pleasantville, New York. Ah, okay, and, uh, and not so, like Long Island. Not Long Island. Yeah, yeah okay. but she's from like New York State, and so. Still a world away from where I was, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think it was like very rough for me. Like I had a very thick Texan accent, you know. I had a very regional accent. People thought I was stupid, and you know, and just (laughs) and so it was it was tough, like fitting in. And I like. I think just as transfer students have, it's it's tough anyways. Cause we were like, I was like told to my face that like we didn't belong there. Or people they, people didn't think transfer students should be allowed to come to Cornell.
1: By who, like other By students? By other students,
0: that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, like
1: you didn't deserve it academically to be in there?
0: Yeah, because we you were just like charity him. cases, yeah. 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 And so, or they like, we weren't prepared for college or something like that. You know, cause you know, I paid maybe like $300. Like, cause I was a waitress. Paying my way into this, like, community college, yeah. which was worked out fine. Um, and so, but then I, like, transferred to Cornell. And so I, like, s- I met these amazing professors who, like, really care about teaching. It was, like, only $300, like, a year that I could easily make, like, waiting tables. And then to, like, transfer to a place where I had to, like, take out a bunch of student loans and things like that. I think, like, also, I was, like, getting this, like, the same degree, but, like, taking a shortcut. And I think that was like their perception.
1: But you, so you had to take out loans for Cornell. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. So you weren't accepted with any like financial aid or anything like that? I did
0: have some financial yeah. aid, yeah.
1: But yeah. still loans are gonna be needed yeah. on top of that. Yeah. And you transferred in as a sophomore or a junior? I
0: tra- uh, a junior. A junior. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I got financial aid to like cover all my tuition, but I had to. Cost a living.
1: Co- yeah, yeah, exactly, like room and board. Were you prepared for classes?
0: Um, I think I was, I I think so. I think I was really just overwhelmed by the differences in the classes, um, and how that was everybody's just full-time job, because at a community college, you are typically, students typically have full-time jobs, or, like, families are taken care of, and, like, everybody just like studied all the time. And I think that was like the expectation. Um, and so I think I, I struggled with like the pace of the courses and then just that being like the expectation that you have this, that you're just studying all the time. Um, and so, so yeah, I didn't, and then, you know, like having, I really missed home at that point. Like I, I remember being like dropped off at campus and I was like, okay, like, how do I eat? <laughs> like, where is the food? <laughs> yeah. yeah, And just like worrying about these like kind of basic needs. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And then like having enough money to like buy food and things yeah. like that. Cause I also needed to find a job. Yeah. Um, and, and no
1: car. I mean, so exactly. Like you no car. Get the food. How yeah. I don't know. And
0: so I like, didn't even know how a dining hall worked or something like that. So it was like a big, like learning curve. And I think I didn't do well my first, semester there, but then I like, you know, it took me a minute to figure out how things worked and then I ended up doing really well.
1: Uh two two things I want to ask about. One is, did you lose your accent very quickly? If people are making fun of you and saying Yeah you you sound stupid, you probably your accent cleaned up quick. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it still comes back when I'm talking to my mom or (laughs) Or when you're home. Or when I'm home, when I'm like have a glass of wine. But um but yeah, I worked really hard to try to 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 soften it a little bit because yeah to fit in yeah exactly
1: um and then the second thing is when when you transferred you're also thinking biology yeah okay so tell me what you studied in your remaining two years
0: yeah well i i wanted to do like biochemistry and i wanted to um to prop to be um at that point i was like oh maybe i can be a doctor instead of a nurse like that had never occurred to me before like Uh no one had ever said that and so um
1: because girls aren't doctors? Girls aren't doctors. Uh-huh.
0: where I where I'm from.
1: Yeah. So now you're in a place where girls can be doctors. Girls they, can be doctors. Yeah,
0: yeah which was well. But also I had no idea like what was being a scientist was. I had no idea that was a job. And so I'm at a big and now I'm at a big university and like there I got a job working in a lab, like doing media prep for like for yeast cultures. Yeah. And uh and then I'm like, oh, like these like, being a scientist is a job, <laughs> and, which is something that never even occurred to me.
1: Did you get that job because you needed a job or because you were interested in science?
0: Um, be, well, uh, both. So both. I needed a job. And so um, because part of my financial aid required me to get a, have a job and to do community service. Um, and so, so, yeah, I needed a job yeah. to, keep my, to keep my financial aid. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I got a job doing, like, lab prep stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, but then I, like, I, I thought I wanted to do biochemistry and then I looked at these classes that they had here and I saw a bunch of classes on like animal behavior. Mm. And then when I started taking these classes, I was like, Oh, this stuff about the brain is really cool. And I started like ta- and I switched my concentration to this neurobiology of behavior track that they have mm. at Cornell biological sciences. And then I, and then I got introduced to people like doing science in nature. And then I was like, "Oh, this is where I want to be." And I couldn't actually do any of that at the time because a lot of field experiences are unpaid, and I, I the don't money. come from yeah. money. I, I, this, the, like my parents weren't like paying for me to be at college, and so I like couldn't accept any positions that didn't pay and so i didn't get to do any field work when i was there but i i recognized that it was a thing and it was a job people had and i decided kind of that's what i wanted to do like Mm. study the brain in nature and and then i wanted to go to graduate school to do that
1: okay so but you want to study the brain in nature and animals
0: yeah yeah well i think growing up on a farm i really I liked animals. I thought, you know, I understood, you know, the animals that we had. Um, and then I also did this like summer shadowing thing to, at a where I shadowed a physician, and I did not like it mm. at all. I think, like I I shadowed somebody in an MS clinic, and they were kind of testing this person that came in. And they went through this, like, flow chart, this, like, yes, no flow chart, and then they basically, at the end of this thing, told this person, this, like, 18-year-old woman that she had MS, and she's, like, she was crying, and her family was crying, and I just felt like I should not be in that room, that it was, like, a very, like, personal moment, and I was, and I thought that, I was, like, wow, I think, you know, I want to work on the basic aspects of these things, um, rather than, like, working on the human aspects, and doing like diagnoses and things like that, I wanna figure out actually how to fix the problem. Um, As you know. opposed
1: to being the one who might say you have this problem. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the, the yes, no is kind of, kind of like, if, you know, do you have this? Yes, okay, then I'll follow up with this question. Does this happen? Yes, oh
0: shoot, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't like that flowchart. Yeah. Um, I thought it was like very, you know, it was very binary. Impersonal. And, and, and impersonal, and I didn't like that at all. Yeah.
1: Uh, I want to ask this too. So growing up Seventh-day Adventist, were you, you know, if you start thinking about biology and animals and evolution, that's usually outside of the church's thinking. So was that yeah. something you needed to overcome?
0: Um, yeah. So I didn't learn about evolution until I got to Cornell. I had never taken a class. This yeah. is not taught in public school yeah. in Texas um, back then. I don't know if it is now. But um Yeah, oh, I didn't learn about evolution. Like, the E E word was a bad word. Really? Yeah.
1: So in school, you're learning the arc?
0: Uh, Well, definitely, like, when I was in, like, elementary school.
1: Noah's Arc. For sure. That's how animals. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And then I, like, and then... At some point in middle school, we, um, you know, we had a lot, my, you know, we had, there were four of us at this point and my parents couldn't afford uh, this private school anymore. And so they put us into public school. And so we weren't learning like biblical passages at that point, but we also like, you know, even in public school, they're not learning about evolution in the, in that same way. Like the evolution is kind of this, you know, bad word.
1: But how, but how are they explaining a- animals, just that they're out there. They're yeah. not saying they're not tying it to God or anything. No. They're just saying animals are out there. Yeah. We're not going to discuss evolution. Yeah, like yeah.
0: you just talk about like a like a physiological process, yeah. like you know that like how hearts work and yeah. things like that. And I think you don't even have to touch upon
1: how it got to be that way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now you're at Cornell and you come across evolution.
0: Oh, I took an evolutionary biology class and I was like, oh my god, everything makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa. It, it was like, yeah, I loved that class. Just because I was like, everything makes sense. <laughs> For the
1: first time the in my life. For the first time, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. I, so did that,
1: <laughs> is that the thing that, never mind that you spent the time shadowing this physician and you didn't like that right yeah yeah was this the thing that said no I want to because a lot of what you do is now evolutionary biology kind of yeah yeah this is the thing that did it
0: yeah yeah I think like a mix of like finding really interesting classes on the brain and behavior and like coming from like a childhood being outside all the time working with animals on a farm and then like taking this evolution class and being like Everything makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to put that together in some way.
1: Um did you bring up that class with your family, your parents? Say I took this amazing class today. There's this thing called evolution. Um, I brought
0: I it up with my siblings. Mm. Yeah. You and being so, the oldest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, none of my siblings are religious. Um, and I'm pretty sure my parents think that that's my fault. <laughs> You know, if you'd they, never
1: gone to Cornell, yeah, exactly.
0: They sent me away to this like liberal, you know, place in New York, and I think that they, you know, they, maybe not now, but they definitely thought that that might have been a mistake. Right. <laughs>
1: Okay, so you finish two years later. You finish with your degree, yeah. And then you already know. You look. I actually want to be a researcher. Yeah. So you started looking for a PhD program.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, because I was like, I was in a lab, um, and they helped me apply for graduate school and things like that. Because I had no idea. Yeah.
1: How to do that even.
0: How to do that, or what to do, or like how to pick graduate programs or things like that, and so my my lab um, yeah, when I was at Cornell really helped me with that. And so I ended up applying to a bunch of places, but I ended up going back to UT Austin to Texas because I really, you know, I, I did miss being, yeah. um, home. And then the other thing was my sister was having a, uh, a baby huh. and she was kind of on her own with that. And I wanted to be there to help her. Um, so to be like close to to, okay. to to have some family responsibilities. So I went back to Texas. If you're
1: thinking like the next five six years of my life or whatever, might as well be close to. Yeah. You're right. you're gonna be about to be an aunt. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you move back to Texas and you mm-hmm. go to UT Austin. Yeah. Yeah. You're. PhD was behavioral.
0: Yeah, it was. Well, I think it was like, I think it's like technically cell molecular biology. Oh yeah, that's right. But hard. I did, um, I, I, I was in, I, I picked labs that studied some aspect of neuroscience in some animal that you could also study in the wild. Um, and, you know, there are lots of people studying like mice yeah. in the wild now, but I either, you know, it wasn't happening as much back then or, you know, I wasn't aware of it. And so the only people who were really, like, accepting students like that were, were these people who were working in these, like, ectothermic animals, like lizards and, and frogs and, and things like that, or fish. Um, and, so, and so I decided to do something like that. Because I, al- I always had, like, fish or, like, a snake or a tarantula or whatever when I was growing up. Um, and uh, so that didn't creep me out at all. Yeah. And I was totally... And I knew that they had like very complex behaviors that we didn't quite understand yet. But it was a little bit more simple, you know, than working in a in a mammal.
1: Yeah. So you do that for I don't know five years. Yeah. Graduate with your PhD. Yeah. And then you get this Bauer Fellowship. Yeah. How did that
0: happen? Well, well, because one of the reasons. So I thought. Uh, so I wanted to be a scientific illustrator, ah. actually at that time. And so I was like, I either want to like go into graduate school, but I don't know how to do that. But I do know how to do like illustration because this is what my family did. And so I was like, I think I could be like in between these worlds and be a scientific illustrator. And so I was like, I think I'm going to apply, but those jobs are hard to get. And so I was like, I think I'm going to apply to these PhD programs to be able to be like better prepared for being a scientific illustrator. Um, and so, so I got into this Ph.D. program, and this was still my plan at the yeah. end. Like, I, I, I had no intention or even the thought that it, I could be a faculty member. Um, yeah, because I, I still, I think, you know, I had this really amazing woman professor at a community college, you know, and where, she, where you do a lot of teaching. And so I really didn't have any like women PIs that like ran research groups and stuff like that. And so for some reason, it just maybe that's the reason, I'm not sure, it didn't even occur to me to like be a faculty member. And so I so I had plan, you know, I was I had gotten married and I was like pregnant with my my first kid at the time and I was becoming really interested in in parental care and things like that. But I was still not going to go into academia and then I and one of the reasons is because what I wanted to do, like no one did. There was like no place for me to do a postdoc or like, and no kind of opportunity to start something totally new. And so, so I was just gonna go into doing this scientific illustration. And then what happened was that um, this person from Harvard, Andrew Murray, who runs the Bauer Fellows Program, came to give a talk at UT Austin mm-hmm. and like asked me, like if I could do anything, what would I wanna do? And I told him the thing, and I was like, but there's, like, no place to do that for me to postdoc to do that. Oh, you didn't
1: say illustrator. You said, I'd like to study.
0: Yeah, I, I, like, I'd like to study this, but this isn't possible, so I'm going to go do this illustration thing mm-hmm. over here. Yeah. And he was like, well, you should apply to this thing, this, like, program that I run that, like, it's for people starting new things. And I was like, okay. And so I'm on maternity leave. I, like, or, you know, I, I I'm, like, Bouncing my baby you know, with like one foot, I wrote this fellowship application on this idea, and then I sent it off, and then I'm like about to start this job
1: as, as an illustrator. Yeah,
0: and uh, and then and it was the only thing I applied for, other than like an uh, an actual job, and and then it, it came back and they accepted me into this place at Harvard.
1: Do you ever think about that? Like, I'm, are these, any of these drawings yours?
0: Um, all of the drawings in the hallway are mine. Yours. So and you're a good illustrator, yeah. obviously, right? Yeah.
1: So that, I think that would have been a wonderful life for you had you done yeah. that. But yeah. it came very close to, because yeah. if you hadn't applied, you were just, that was, you'd be doing the illustration yeah. jobs now. yeah, yeah. Well, do you ever think about that?
0: Oh, I think about stuff like that all the time. <laughs> like, if I hadn't met Andrew at this, like, one dinner, if I had been like, oh, I'm not going to go to this dinner. Yeah, I mean, I think about that here in the people I interact with now, like, in this, like, position of power as a faculty member, like, who I, like, open up my calendar to and, like, you know, who I think, like, it's just amazing how these, like, one little meetings can, like, change, change everything. somebody's yeah. life, you yeah. know? And so, so yeah, this one dinner at this like barbecue place, (laughs) like opened up this door. And then I, so my, my spouse was like, well, um, we can't say no to this, this Harvard thing, this sounds nice. And so we moved and my daughter was like one at the time. And so we moved to Boston and I remember just being like, I don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) Okay,
1: two things. Is your husband a scientist too? Did you meet him Uh, at UT Austin?
0: Yeah, we met at UT Austin. He Ah. is also a scientist. Um, He is in industry.
1: Okay, so when he sees this Harvard thing, he's like, yeah, we can move the family. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, you move up there. Boston too, like if you were unhappy-ish when you first landed in New York, like Boston is its own kind of cult really, right? I mean, it's a a different city. What did you make of it?
0: Um, Well... It's, uh, very, it's very cold. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of being cold. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, I think it's this like mix of like the, the weather. And for me, it was more like the lack of sunlight yeah. that I thought was really hard. Um, but also I think the, just like the culture was very different from like this Southern, uh, culture that I grew up in. Yeah. And so everybody's like just very direct and, uh, <laughs> And tells you what's on their mind, which I appreciate now. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I just, and then it's like this mix in of being at Harvard, you know, and everybody's like, oh, Harvard. And I'm like, ah, like I, I, like, I remember like walking through the Harvard quad and being like, like, I don't belong in this place. (laughs) Yes. And it was very difficult. But you did, you did belong in that place. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I like, you know, eventually, like, years later, I like, I, did what I like set out to do there and like establish this like new system and neuroscience and things like that and I was like, oh, like I could actually stay here and be and like you know be happy I guess. Um, so I felt much better about it at the end.
1: So you get this fellowship. You want to set up to do this independent research that you considered but didn't really know how to do. And someone said that's a good idea. Yeah. But you didn't really know how to do it, right? Like you had no. to You had to get animals. You had to get frogs. Yeah. How did you, yeah. you do all that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I picked frogs because they have this, like, I was interested in parental care because I was having my first child at yeah. the time. Yeah. And I, you know, frogs have these really wonderful like diversity and reproductive strategies that isn't really like um, easily studied in any other vertebrate taxa. And so I knew I wanted to study these frog behaviors, but you know, no one, you know, they've been a model system in ecology and evolution for a really long time, but no one was doing any neuroscience with them. No one was doing anything molecular with them, and so. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to try to start. And but, when I got that fellowship, I was like, oh. Now I have to figure out what I'm going to do because it, it was all just this like yeah. grandiose idea. And so, what, who I reached out to was the really lovely people in the poison frog hobbyist community, and because there are people who raise these frogs and like have them in their basements and. Just like huh. really dedicate their like personal life to to growing these yeah. frogs and breeding them in captivity. And so I reached out to them and I was like, Hi, I'm putting together an academic colony. You know, will you help me do this? And I started going to these hobbyist shows and talking to all of these people who eventually like helped me set up this and they colony are, at Harvard. They're
1: not in Boston? Or they uh are-
0: there, there are some like in Massachusetts, hmm. um, and then you know, they they are kind of sprinkled throughout. Uh, the U.S. and we still buy frogs from from hobbyists and and for our research and things okay. like that. And yeah. so you know they're like, like they're not trained like trained in academic science, but that doesn't mean that they you know aren't like community scientists kind of in their own way. You know they're very careful about observing the animals and they've been raising them for a long time and they are very much experts in this in this field. And so I reached out to them and they helped me establish this colony um, so that I could do the work do the work yeah. exactly yeah. And so,
1: this, so the, the fellowship came two parts one is they're going to give you some funding to do this research yeah. and two I think there's mentoring on how to set up and run a lab right is, yes. that, is that part of it yes
0: oh definitely because this fellowship is for people right out of their PhD yeah and yeah I mean I was 27 when I started this lab at Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, like, how to mentor other people, like, how to set up a lab, how to run a budget, like, all of these things. And so you have this mentoring committee, um, actually. I wonder... of Like, four or five, like, Harvard faculty that you meet, like, kind of like a PhD committee. Um, they they meet with you and, like, help you through a lot of these um, these challenges
1: like once a week or what, um, whenever we you met need like
0: them? yeah like twice a year and then Andrew Murray who's the director of this program and still runs a similar program um, he we met like once a month uh, to like talk about all these things so
1: this is huge then this is I mean now I understand like when you leave there not only have you done some research that's probably notable but two you could you know how to run a lab
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So the, your next job is that much easier. This I mean the it fellowship was,
0: it was a lot easier, yeah. I mean, I think we were protected a lot from all the administrative things that come with this job. And then also I there was no there was very little teaching. And so I think I, like coming here I was still overwhelmed with the amount of like administrative things I had to do. Yeah. But I at least knew like how to do a budget, how to set up the colony, you know, of the animal colony, which was really important. I had like a clear sense of what we needed to do. Um which I think would have been impossible to do, like for a faculty member kind of starting a new system that would be like next to impossible, yeah,
1: yeah, so the the fellowship is four it's five know. years five years yeah. okay, and when that ends, you end up here at Stanford.
0: yeah, so yeah. how
1: did you and did you have your second child by then?
0: Yeah, I had my second child when I was in in Boston, okay, so you yeah. have
1: two, you and your husband two children. now you're looking for something new and yeah. Were you looking at Stanford? Was he looking to go to the West Coast or how did Yeah, it happen?
0: so he did a postdoc at Harvard Medical School. And so we, like, I went on the job market um, and, you know, because at that point I was decided I was going, you know, going to try, you know, I wanted to keep doing this research and I was going to be a faculty member. And so I got, you know, I applied to a bunch of places, I got some interviews, we got some offers, and then we basically, I sat down at the kitchen table one night, I was like, okay, these are the places that mm. will offer me a job, where, where would you like to be? Like, where do you think you could also work and be happy? Um, and he picked Stanford mm. because, um, because the Bay Area just has a lot of opportunities for people in industry.
1: So what, in, what is he in the biotech industry? Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, okay. And then you thought, well, we're going to raise our family out in California. Yeah. I mean, what did your parents say to that?
0: <laughs> I mean, they still think, uh, they think California, they, they feel the same way about California that they do about New York. New York right. <laughs> yeah, that so. yeah, the, they, you know, it's like this liberal place where they, you know, they watch, you know, they watch Fox News. So yeah. they think of like, California as this place where like, there's like rampant drugs and crime and. Things like, and they're, like, constantly worried about right. us. And I'm like, no. And the
1: grandkids. The grandkids, <laughs> the grandkids right. exactly.
0: I'm like, no, everything is fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> have,
1: they, have they been to Stanford?
0: Um, you know, no. They have it's they gorgeous. have no It's gorgeous. They don't have any interest in, in coming over here.
1: Well, they should because they would not feel worried if they walked around the campus. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so seven years ago, roughly, you, stuck, you set yeah. up your lab here. Um, there's a study that you did that I found. Well, first off, I want to ask about wolf spiders okay (laughs) because when i'm reading your work i understand how you can get trackers on fish or frogs but i do not understand how you get them like when you are working with wolf spiders are you tracking them in the wild
0: um we are not tracking them in the wild we have a lot of them downstairs in our like lab colony yeah and um they do a very similar behavior to our frogs actually and so you know our frogs uh you know they lay their eggs in the leaf litter and then when the tadpoles hatch they have to be transported to water somehow and so the parents give them this like piggyback ride from the leaf to a pool of water and and wolf spiders are very similar so the mom like carries this egg sack with her for two weeks all the spiderlings hatch out and then she carries them on her back for like two weeks and she is basically not eating during this whole time And, uh, and so we were really interested in like, okay, these are like very similar behaviors. Are there like similar, like neural mechanisms Mm -hmm. that are promoting these behaviors, even though they have like, you know, evolved independently, you know, are there similar like themes in the neural structure? Um, and so, so that's mostly what our, our, our wolf spider work is about. Um, and so it's, it's we need a lot of like tool development. There's not like a spider brain atlas and things like that. yeah. Yeah. And so it, and I mean, same with frogs though. I think we have to, as we're, we have this goal, this science question, and then we're also having to build a lot of resources as we like make it to that goal. Um, And so we had to like build a like a spider brain atlas and sequence their genome and like trying to figure out spider Neuroanatomy and and things like that And so before we can even map on where the neurons in a spider that
1: what's lighting up when they do this They do parental care. Okay, so that's ongoing. Yes. Okay. That answers my question. Yes. You and you had you did a lot of work with pair bonding. Yeah, and you had found that uh, when pair bonding is focused on resources, not necessarily parental pair bonding, but resources that you see more variants in there. You'll see male-male pair bonding, female-female pair bonding, and that is uh, tied to resource protection, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. I I was thinking, well, that's kind of more like community building, right? Like We're all in this together, Mm -hmm. you found that.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, so um, I think the species that that you're talking about are these butterfly fishes, and what we were interested in is, you know, pair bonding and parental care are intertwined yeah. in mammals because when males are involved they you know they typically are pair, you know they're one in a bi-parental pair bonding species and two then they are providing parental care you know the definite that's one of the reasons i couldn't work on mammals is because you know, the definition of being a mammal is that moms have to be involved. And so it's very difficult to disentangle pair bonding and parental care in a male mammal. And so I had to not work on mammals to be able to disentangle those two questions. And so, you know, but some species pair bond without parental care. And so these butterfly fishes will just spawn into the water column. But they do like stay paired to defend their you know their their coral avarice so they eat coral and so they defend these territories and then you know what we found when we started like collecting brains was that you know it could be a male male pair a male female like there was like a huge variation in who was pairing up with who and you know someone to get back to your point you know someone even asked me like oh well is it like really a pair bond or is it just this like intense friendship And I was like, well, I I mean, I feel like those are very similar. (laughs) Yes, it could be. If if it it makes you more comfortable to call it a friendship, that's fine. Um, But, you know, it's this like social bond that persists outside of the context of reproduction.
1: Uh, I read this other thing too, this other bit of research that you did. And this is in frogs. And um, it was picked up kind of in the media as like an empathy thing. And maybe that's how you described it. Where you would take a pair, frogs that have been pair bonded, yeah. and you would take one away and stress it in some mm-hmm. way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and measure cortisol levels, mm-hmm. and then the frogs would be put back together, and you would measure the cortisol levels in the other frog that had not been stressed, and yeah. their levels were also higher, yeah, which suggested that um, they understood what had happened to the other frog mm-hmm. and were f- having feelings of empathy toward them, mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, yeah. And I thought, number one, fascinating experiment, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. so interesting. But I also thought was like, well, how did this stress get transferred? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's either some sort of communication where they said this thing happened to me. Can you believe this happened today? And they said, oh my god, I'm so nervous. Like, or are they yeah. is there some sort of sense or?
0: I, I yeah. I, so I don't think we know exactly how they're sensing us. It. So it's definitely so. You know, and this happens like in humans. This happens in mammals. This happens in birds, where you will state match your partner hormonally. So like when your partner like comes home and they're like, oh, I had this really stressful day and they're really stressed, like your cortisol levels will go up too. And you're like, oh, like, and and so there's this hormonal and physiological like state matching. And so, you know, for a long time, they thought like empathy and like state matching Um, was something that was unique to us, to primates, to mammals, who I think we understand a lot better than we understand how a frog might be feeling. And so, you know, but, but Charles Darwin a long time ago thought that actually empathy is very widespread, you know, just like looking at the natural world like that animals, you know, within a species can can almost understand what's happening to another individual. I mean, it makes sense that they would yeah. be able to read another individual's state to kind of predict what's happening in the environment. And so, but I think, you know, most people didn't now like don't think that like something like a frog and a fish can, you know, I think empathy is still something that people like to reserve for humans, but they can still like you know state match at least physiologically their partner who is stressed and they don't do this to someone who's not their partner was the other part of that study so we yeah. gave them like some you know we stressed out their partner and we stressed out this other female and so and then the males state match only their partner and so right. something about being pair bonded to this individual that they were really stressed they also like had this cortisol response and so Whether, you know, I don't know, I think whether or not they can like smell the stress or there's some behavior that we don't pick up on as humans, that they they can see to it, like with each other, like something is transmitting that this, that this individual is stressed. And I think that's the part we don't understand yet. We just, you know, we, I think we challenge the concept that, that something like empathy is only for humans. Yeah. Not true, right? Not Not true.
1: true, (laughs) Um, But I should be clear when when they were separated and one was stressed, the other one could not see that. They couldn't see it. No, no, no. There had to be some communication afterwards. Yes. Yeah. That's so amazing. Um, Okay, I want to ask a few things. One, I was looking at um, I think just kind of your resume and the grants that you had gotten. Yeah. So most of your grants are NSF grants. Yeah.
0: Uh, We have. Yeah, we have a lot of NSF money and then um, a lot of um, we have some NIH money. You do.
1: Okay, yeah. that that was my question because it seemed like you had gotten something like 3.6 million in NSF money. And the NSF has something like a 10 billion dollar budget, yeah. whereas the NIH has like a 48 billion dollar budget. Yeah. And so if your work is like I didn't know if it made it, so that that's a smaller pie, the NSF. Yes. But maybe are there less people vying for that pie than No, maybe, no it's it's equally competitive as trying yes. to get NIH money. yes. Yeah. Some of this work is applicable to humans as we discussed, at yeah. least if you extrapolate it that way. Yeah. But a lot of it is probably not in the eyes of the NIH.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that we, we straddle both these worlds and it's, and it's a struggle because um, we do have NIH money and a lot of it has to do with, um, with benefits of the, the frog system we're working on. So these tadpoles that we study bond to their mothers they can recognize their moms apart from like stranger frogs, and they um, and they communicate when they're hungry. Yeah. And so and we have no we are like I our knowledge of how like infant brains or like the brains of young are formed and shaped by social experiences and things like that are like very limited. And I think because it's very hard to work on those questions in mm-hmm. rodent pups. And so were these tadpoles. Are you know they're transparent and so we can image their brains like throughout development you know because they're not growing up in a womb so we can image brains throughout development and you know a lot of these same genes that we see you know regulating begging behavior and bonding to moms and things like that are the same genes that like mammals have and so you know it's we're, we're studying these bonding processes just in a very in a simpler more accessible system and so that's mostly what nih has funded us for
1: but it means that when you i mean if you were describing your grant simply as we're going to figure out what's going on with these frogs without saying how this might you're you're never going to get that no 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 no.
0: yeah in fact because i mean a lot i mean we do get this now you know from nih is that like i don't you know Frogs are a long ways from humans, Yeah, you know, like
1: that's the response you get. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: And I mean, but that's like my job though, as a, in like a grantsmanship sense to like convince them that actually it's easier to understand it in this like basic system. You know, we have to understand the basic principles of this behavior and what's going on in the brain before, you know, we can scale it up to something like more complex and difficult. Um, and so, you know, sometimes panelists are like that and you know but other times they're like, you know, we actually learned a lot from flies. Like Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> frogs, you know, are are a little bit closer than yeah. that. And yeah. so yeah. And then you know, but and some but sometimes they're like, Well, you know, you should try for NSF money. Um, because I like mentioned the word evolution or or something yeah, like that. And the line, then they're like, Go yeah. talk to NSF and I'm like, No, <laughs> this is relevant.
1: <laughs> um so along those lines, you have I think a couple of the L'Oreal, you have a fellowship from L'Oreal, one Mm -hmm. of which is for, I think, just a grant for research, and one is a mentoring fellowship, right? Yeah. And I'll be dead honest, when they they first came out with those, I was really skeptical. I thought, this is L'Oreal, they spent their life telling women that their face is important, and they need Mm -hmm. to look this way, Mm -hmm. and now they're telling me that they're interested in women's brains. I did, I was like, this is a PR stunt through and through, and it probably still is, but, you know, they've, partnered with, what, the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences, Science, yeah. they funded Jennifer Doudna, Submit yeah. some yeah. they've nurtured some incredible talent, yeah. and I think that I was a little hasty in my skepticism. Mm. Would you agree with that?
0: Yes, I would. I mean, um, yeah, because people have even asked me if they you have to like provide a headshot for that uh. grant, and I'm like, no, <laughs> not at all. Um, and so there's actually, you know, as fellows, they have us come to their labs To see just how much science is there goes into that industry, which is there's a lot of science happening there, and a lot of like material science, and a lot of just like really amazing scientists working in that industry, Um, and so which is something I didn't appreciate before. But the other thing I think that program does is that you know they support women at this really critical transition um, between being a postdoc, you know, in this postdoc years, because this is when like most, you know, most people have children yeah, and that is really hard. And so they, you know, and there are not a lot of grants that actually support that, that support, you know, women who are also like community driven and want to like also get, give back to the community and and it's also mostly in research funds, and so instead of like your salary, and so they actually wanna like fund your research ideas, and so I think they're actually, you know, filling this really important gap where when a lot of women leave science, mm. and I think actually what they've done has been able to keep more women in science in for that reason.
1: Yeah, um, I think I have just one yeah question left. I mean, we sort of talked about this, but I feel like if you hadn't have hit the evolution class, your life would be totally different. Yeah. Like, is that the thing that completely turned your brain in a new direction?
0: Um, yeah, I think it was a mix of this evolution class and a mix of my animal behavior class. Yeah. Because I think I didn't know you could have a job or I didn't know there are people who studied those two things like what (laughs) like because i you know i come from a community where you have to be like very useful and you know and you have to like like taking care of animal health is useful from like an agricultural farm aspect or like being a nurse and helping like humans through tough times is a useful aspect um and so studying animals like in their natural contexts like in and also like how behavior evolves like i didn't know that there were people that did that 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 was a job Yeah, and I think that opened my eyes to this like possibility that That I could spend my life doing something like that um, like being outside studying how animal brains worked in the wild
1: I Mean when you say it like that It's like a, if someone had told you as a child your job is going to be to study animals in the wild you have been like, that's, ama- that's amazing. You're I like, get to do that?
0: i like, yeah. Well, I, I kind of do that now. <laughs> like, yeah. as a kid. <laughs> well, we're going like, to send you around the world. So yeah. Like oh, yeah. You're I like... had no idea, like, you know, the scope of that. That yeah. there were, like, you know, scientists, you know, like, working on, fr- like, that studying frogs would take me all over the planet.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. Given that this is your career now, yeah. has it stressed your relationship with your parents? Like, do they kind of wish that you had stayed on the farm and the grandkids were around all the time?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think, um, you know, my dad told me he was really disappointed in me for a long time. And I think actually only being the only time he really told me he was proud of me was when I became a faculty member at Stanford. Because he was like, oh, I guess what you were doing is somewhat useful. (laughs) But I think it wasn't clear back then, like, like graduate school could be like a waste of time. And I thought... You know, they think it was, it was like pulling me away from our community and I was, you know, being a bad example to my siblings and, and things like that. So I think like it was definitely this period where they thought I was like run astray. Yeah. Um, but I think it's actually much better now. I think they only like being here have they really reala- like, have they come to the realization that what we might be doing might be useful to people.
1: Yeah. The, all the siblings, so you have three other siblings. Yeah. Are they all out in the world?
0: Yeah, they all live in Seattle, actually. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, and, like, with, you know... And and so I think the, the level of communication is variable yeah. across siblings. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can create a lot of stress. Um, but, uh, but I think... It was really meaningful when my dad, like, finally, like, you know, he was like disappointed in me for like going to like graduate school and like wasting my life and things like that. To like finally, when I had this job, that he was like, I'm really proud of you. And I was like, and it made me cry. <laughs> uh, okay, uh,
1: I'm gonna stop. Thank okay.
0: You. Thank you.
1: there you go. Great talk with Lauren, I thought. Before I left campus, I managed to go up in the Hoover Tower and to see the Rodin Sculpture Garden, both of which Lauren suggested I do before getting back into an Uber. So thank you for that, Lauren, and thanks for having me into your office. This podcast will be archived on thetransmitter.org and is available wherever you find podcasts, Apple, YouTube, Spotify. Find it and subscribe and you'll get each episode. You can also share the episodes, or Rate and Review Synaptic, which does help other people find the show. Some of the information on Tarrant County College for the intro was taken from the TCC website. Our theme song was written and performed by Chris Collinwood. That's it for episode 11. I'll let the music take us out. Do you have any questions for me before you?
0: Um, Do you have any advice or things you don't want me to say? (laughs) No. Um,
1: No.